didn't you, didn't you guys experiment with the the beer garden last year, and how did it work? Yeah, we we had an area outside the stadium, right? Um, not inside, but outside, and you know, no issues. It was, uh, you know, well received. Uh, you know, uh, that uh, we, you know, probably our biggest experiment in that area. We had a Garth Brooks concert in April, and uh, sold it in the stadium. It had uh, had no issues. In fact, our uh, um, Police activity was was well under what a typical SEC game would be. Uh, now, understand the competitive juices may have been a little bit different for Garth than it would be for LSU, but um, you know it's it, it was very it was seamless, right? And so we'll uh, that was an interesting uh, experiment. We were we were talking among ourselves. Can you envision a day when they're Guys going up and down the aisles of SEC football stadium and selling get you cold beer here. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't know that it will. I could I could see the day when we're selling beer in our stadiums. Okay. I don't know that we'll be hawking them in the stands, but I could see time when you're offering. Fan, I, and I don't know when that'll be. Obviously, there's going to be conversations here about it, and I'm curious to hear what. Um, we've not really had those conversations yet, and I think once the presidents get here, we'll all get in the room and be interesting to hear what they're perspectives are. Would you favor it? Uh, I want to wait and hear what everybody says. I, I, candidly, I want to kind of keep that close to the best right now. Do you feel, though, I mean, it seems like public perception is, is in favor of it. Uh, you know, obviously fans are in favor of it. What's holding this back? Is just um, Candidly, there's probably a perception issue. And and then there is a safety, you know, safety is really paramount. And we, uh, we bring 80,000, 90,000 people into our stadiums and uh, we like to think that SEC football is a is a family venture, and, and families come out. And you want to make sure that that's something that you're not um, you're not weakening that, and and uh, you want to make sure that everybody's safe. If we can do it in a way where you accomplish the safe, you, you satisfy the safety issues, and and uh, you're not turning off a, a portion of your supporters. Um, I could conceivably conceivably see something moving forward there. Police and students. Yeah, the students are going to be an interesting. Uh, how you handle that? You know, whether. Uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. I don't want to speculate. Um, there'll probably be some. If anything comes out of here, there'll be some parameters in place. They'll probably address that. Is it something that could theoretically slow binge drinking getting getting really liquored up to last through a game? And you know, anecdotally, you, you, people who have who have done it. Anecdotally, you hear that, that that is the case. So, could it be a attendance boon, or is that overrated? Um, I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a magic bullet on attendance. I think that it could certainly take away a a something that prohibits people. It could take away an excuse, right? But so could game times. So uh, you know, winning games helps. Um, there's a lot of lot of uh, factors that go into attendance issues and. This could be one that helps that. How about a revenue boost? I mean, is it much? Would it be much? I, you know, that's a good question. I think it depends on where it is and and how it's structured and, and how widely available. Again, you from all we have to go off of is schools and other conferences that have done it, and you hear varying reports about the impact it's had. What is revenue generated at the beer garden? Not not a ton. It wasn't. A, we didn't have a ton of traffic there. It was more of, of a test case. Greg mentioned there, there's a working group in, in looking into the alcohol uh, issue. I guess is that something that will be can be decided this this week, or is is that more or less something that's going to be a future endeavor? I I, I can't answer that. I think it'll be discussed. I don't know if it'll be a decision or not.
was very much discussed about scheduling the scheduling format so far. Um, you know, we've had this, not this meetings. We've had you know we have periodic conversations about our scheduling model, and um, you know I guess we've had this one since we expanded in was it twelve? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I I, I think there's there's always going to be people schools that that would like a little more variety and chance to see each other more often. Um, eight seems to be pretty solidly uh, a lot of support for eight games continue to be that um, but you know I think there's a lot of people who are open-minded to see if maybe we could arrange those eight in, in a different way but but there's really there's nothing on the agenda really to discuss that it's just oh, oh, it's just ongoing conversation for the non-conference game Scott when you said in that CFP playoff committee now just how important are, are these non-conference games we're seeing so many schools go to more aggressive scheduling model um Certainly, your strength of schedule matters when, when you're in that room, um, but it's and it's not necessarily, you know. There's you hear some conversation between eight and nine conference games, uh, as far as what what benefits a conference. It's you, when you're in that room, you're not looking at well, they played this number of conference games and then they played these teams in the non-conference. You're looking at the entire the entire body of the twelve game schedule, and so. One of the great things about an eight-game conference schedule is it gives you more flexibility on what you do with those other games. And obviously, some schools in our league are, are stepping out and being a little more aggressive. We've always had really um, non-SEC caliber games when you factor in Florida State, and I, I don't think we get enough credit for playing that game year in, year out. Um, and we've added, you know, some other games in the future. We're looking to add additional uh, autonomy five games. Um, I, I would love to see a, a place in time when we get to. Uh, where all Power Fives are playing 10 or 11 Power Five games every year. I think the the, uh, the reward to your season ticket holder, uh, the value that we're creating in the marketplace, um, I think our players and coaches want those caliber of games. Um, and I could you, you're starting to see that trend, maybe not quite uh, with that goal in mind uh, as, as a stated goal, but I, I could see us all kind of moving toward that eventually. Rob Mullins said that two losses wasn't a factor. It's just still four best teams. You were in that room. How close was it when it came right down to it? Obviously, George and Oklahoma were right on the border, it seemed. You know, uh, Rob is a really good spokesperson for the committee, so I'm, I'm not going to uh, – I wouldn't want to say anything different than what he said. But uh, obviously, the committee had Georgia fifth, so the committee thought highly of Georgia. and. Um, there were other teams in the conversation that uh, were put in front of them. The ramped up scheduling, what the uncertainty beyond, I guess, 23, 24, whenever, and the talk about will it go to eight, how connected is all that? Uh, you know, I've, I've been asked that question. I think that's a moving target because you, you don't know in any given year who you're going to be compared to and how many losses they're going to have. We've never have a team had a team with two losses get in, so right now there's this this mindset, well, if you have two losses, you can't get in. But, you know, 2007, there was a team in the BCS with two losses, right? So in any given year, that could happen. And it's hard to sit back and go, we're scheduling now for something that might happen to a, to a format seven, eight, nine years from now. I, I think the, the, the real motivation behind adding these key games is we have 12 weekends that are really valuable to us from uh, resource generation to support our programs and uh, fan engagement and, and brand enhancement. And we, we need to be really smart about maximizing those 12 weekends as much as possible, making sure they're weekends that people really care about. Scott, one of the things you, you've pointed out is that and at your place, visiting attendance is significantly down. Yep. Because of the, A, why is that happening? And B, 
does that mean that when this scheduling model is up in 2025 or whatever it is, there needs to be a rather serious discussion about what makes up a conference schedule? Um, you know, uh, anecdotally, I would think the, the flat screen TV, the home experience, is impacting visiting team travel more than anything else. Um, I really think our home fans are going to come out. You know, they're going to have their six or seven times a year where they get to use their season ticket and they get to come on campus and they get to tailgate and all that kind of stuff. I don't think, I don't think the, the, the home experience is impacting that. The home experience is, do I want to go on the road, sit in the worst seats in this other team's stadium, be treated, you know, maybe not as hospitably as, I, as I'd like, when I can do all that at home. So that's where you're seeing, you know, we're holding 8,000 seats in our stadium for visitors, and it's unusual we have three or 4,000 now. And, and I'm talking about SEC games or, or Florida State. So um, I don't know that that impacts how we schedule. I just think that that's uh, I just think that's the way our, our, our culture has gone from, from traveling. It's, it's not I'm going to have to go 12 times a year to see all these games. I can go seven or eight times a year, maybe pick one road game to go to, and I'm going to watch the rest on TV. I, I think our scheduling needs to be how are we adding value for those seven or eight home games. You, you move from one SEC school to another. What was the most difficult thing about that, and what maybe helped being within the league? Um, obviously, having the relationships within the league, being able to maintain those, is, is a great benefit. Um, you know, you know who in the, when you go into a totally new league, you have to learn who does everything in the conference office, and mm -hmm. and you know who who has the strong voice within the league. Staying in the in the league I, within the league, I didn't you know I already knew all that, which was nice. Um, you you kind of have to learn the. Uh, the mindset of a new fan base, you know, right? How what what's important to a fan? You know, what's important to one fan base may not may be different in another place. Um, you just have to navigate that, and, and it takes some time. And and you know, we all want to know the day we walk in everything we need to know, and it's not possible. It takes some time to learn all that. Scott, what, where do you want to happen with the uh, Georgia series after the current contract uh, ends? You know, we love having the game in Jacksonville. Obviously, a lot of tradition there, and the, and the city's embraced it. But um, I think we also have to. You know, anytime there's an opportunity to, to look around and make sure you're doing what's right for your programs, you have to do that. But my hope is it will be in Jacksonville. You know, you talk about scheduling. Do you think we'll get to a point where the SEC stops scheduling FCS schools? I mean, is that something that, that may come up as a, as a conference? -wise? I think it'll be a school-by-school -school decision. Scott, uh, officiating was discussed yesterday by Greg quite a bit. Uh, being more communicative with the public and the media on specific calls. Uh, is that just kind of a sign of the times? and? He mentioned Twitter, and they're just a reaction yeah. how how people react. Um, I, you know, I don't really have a thought on that. I think I think our guys do a great job. It's an, it's it, they're, you know, our our coaches uh, make mistakes during the game. Our players make mistakes during the game. There's a human element to officiating. I think they do, by and large, a really good job. And whenever uh, there's an SEC game with a questionable call, it generates a lot of interest and a lot of noise. And um, the league is, is probably sensitive to that. The league office is sensitive to that, rightly so. They take a lot of pride in getting those right. But I think Steve Shaw and that group does a great job. And I, yeah, I think you got to be careful. I don't think you can go out every week and, and point out publicly the, the calls you got wrong because you're going to create a narrative that there's always a problem. And candidly, I don't think there is. Can you satisfy fans with a statement or? I don't I, no, because you're not going to go back and undo it, right? And that's that's uh, they want a pound of flesh, and they're probably not going to be satisfied in that situation. Scott, there's a. NCAA working group looking into player likeness and possible compensation. Yep. Uh, among the ADs, how much are, are y'all concerned about kind of the slippery slope that that could be and what what, what the challenges are there? I think, well, there's some real challenges with it. Um, I'm curious to see what the group comes up with. There are some there's some ways you can envision that they could uh, you could create some 
some opportunity to, to let some athletes maybe benefit from that. I think of a video game situation. Um, but you really worry about it becoming a de facto uh, open market, in which case, um, why are we in the business of, of being in a university? Why are we in a college setting? And, and, and then you think about the unintended consequences of, you know, I read, a, I read a, something in the last year that uh, universities spend $5 billion a year on Olympic sport programming. If suddenly you have, you're just worried about the, the sports that produce revenue, you're going to see a siphoning off of the money going into the Olympic sports. You're going to be taking opportunities away from a lot of young people. Uh, in, in, the, in the good name of trying to let these kids benefit, but I think you're end up going to take money from one pot and stick it in another. Um, I just I worry about how you how you maintain that. We're not a professional sports. We're, we, we're never going to be professional sports. Um, if someone wants to go start a league and let 18 and 19 year olds compete and pay them professionally, they should do so. If there's a market for that, they should do so. I would think that if there's a market for that, that would have already happened. But um, you know. I'm all for trying to find ways to provide uh, more value to all of our student athletes. I just think it's a slippery slope.